Hello, welcome to the Lansing Area Church of Christ weekly message podcast. Today's sermon kicks off a four-week series about the Sermon on the Mount called The World Turned Upside Down. A couple things to note. First, I've pasted the scripture reading into this week's show notes if you want to follow along. And I've also put a link to the LACC Facebook page in the show notes. That's where the daily devotional videos Joel references will be posted. And with that out of the way, here's Joel Nagel with World Values Upside Down. Amen. You can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. You know, in sports, uh, the, the pundits argue about the greatest game ever played. And for Spartans, maybe it's the 2014 Rose Bowl. You remember that moment at the end? If you were, Oh, man, that's a moment. Or the, the 2000 NCAA basketball championship, or maybe for the older Spartans here, the 1979 uh, championship with Magic Johnson. Uh, in music, people wonder what was the greatest concert ever played. Maybe Hendrix at Woodstock, the national anthem with the electric guitar, upside down, left-handed. You know, for up-and-coming athletes, there's the possibility that maybe they will play the greatest concert or the greatest game ever played or a musician uh maybe dreams at night about maybe maybe i'll be able to play the greatest concert ever played uh this is not the case for preachers the greatest sermon ever has already been preached and it will never be topped i can't i can't lay in my bed and i think i'm going to preach the greatest sermon Ever. It's already happened. And here's the thing. I'm not actually sad about that because it means that everyone everywhere who studies the gospel gets to read the notes of the greatest sermon ever preached anytime they want. And of course, I'm talking about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chap- Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And this month, we're going to spend all four Sundays in just this one sermon. We could spend a whole year on this one sermon, maybe even a decade on this one sermon. That's how great it is. The greatest sermon from the greatest preacher ever, Jesus Christ himself. To help you get the most out of this month and this sermon, we're going to link up our devotional times together. So as a church, we spend time with the Lord every day. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to do that by reading the same passages. And so you have that on your seats. If you don't have it, there's more up here. There's some in the lobby um, where it's a reading plan. It's just a couple of verses or one section per day. But if we're reading the same thing every day, then we can be talking about it with one another. It just enhances our whole fellowship. On top of that, um, you can snap that QR code or sign up at the end of church uh, on our Connect QR code that we have or just give me your email address. Uh, and, and we're going to have a video because there's, there are preachers all over the United States that are also preaching this same series. And you'll get to hear from uh, men and women who are leading churches about their thoughts each day for each of these passages. And so it's going to be really an awesome month giving uh, this sermon what it deserves. And, and so I encourage you to give it your best. Read through this pas- the passages on your own. Take notes. Talk to somebody about it. 
when we're going to put the videos on our Facebook page, if you would share those, what you're doing is sharing the greatest sermon ever preached with the people that are on your Facebook or Twitter or whatever you want to do, if you want to do that. It's a really easy way to share and re- a really awesome thing. Amen? Why, uh, why can I so confidently proclaim that this is the best sermon ever preached? Well, at the end of the month, you'll agree with me if you don't already. But it's because if it were to be lived out, if we truly lived out this sermon, it would turn the world upside down. And that's our theme for the month. The world turned upside down. And there's a, a, this is on our, our website as well. But these are the sermons. Um, and the sermons this month are going to be today, World Values Upside Down. Next week, we'll look at the law of Moses, but we're going to see how Jesus turns it inside out. He takes the Old Testament law, and he kicks it up like a thousand notches. The third Sunday, we'll look at holiness right side up. What does it really look like to be righteous? And then at the end of the month, and Jesus ends his sermon so powerfully by calling people to make a decision. And so we're going to look at decisions inside right, making the right heart decisions that will change your life and change the world. What are we supposed to do after hearing the greatest sermon ever preached? That's, that's our month. I'm so excited about this sermon series. I hope that you are as well. Let's jump into the introduction, Matthew chapter 5, in verse 1, and we'll, we'll get to set the scene here for this sermon. Oh, we don't have any of the other slides. Are they gone? They're gone. That's okay. We'll be okay. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So this is before the, the red letter. If you have a red letter Bible, the words of Jesus, this is, this is the longest sermon of Jesus in the whole Bible as well. Three chapters of Jesus' words. But it starts with this setting. He goes up on a mountain, he sits down, and his disciples come to him. We'll talk more about that setting next week, but let's talk about the audience before we begin the sermon here. It says that his disciples came to him. And so we're like, did he preach the greatest sermon ever to 12 people? That doesn't sound like the greatest audience ever. Uh, And at this point, he hasn't actually called his 12 disciples yet. He hasn't even met Matthew, who wrote these words down yet. And so who are these disciples that are coming to hear this sermon? Well, if you read just ahead, Jesus has been spending time with um, all kinds of people. He's been proclaiming the gospel and healing the sick all over Galilee. And these are people with diseases, people with demons, people with epilepsy, people who are paralyzed. All of those kinds of people are gathering into this great crowd and following him. And that's what it means to be a disciple, a follower. And so the crowd is full of people who are sick, paralyzed, demon-possessed, epileptic, people that Jesus had been healing and preaching the gospel to him. That's the audience for the greatest sermon ever preached. And with this in mind, let's jump into Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, and we'll read through verse 11. You're going to have to read along with me because we don't have the PowerPoint. Uh, It says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, and we got our PowerPoint. Good job, AV team. Thank you. Uh, you know, great sermons start with provocative statements. Uh, if you study preaching, I'm studying preaching, uh, preachers want to shock you. They want to get you thinking right away. Every line of the greatest sermon, this introduction to it, is shocking. It's all upside down. It's jarring. We learn right off the bat, what is the subject of this sermon? What's the subject of the greatest sermon ever preached? The subject is the kingdom of heaven. And that's Matthew's way of saying the kingdom of God. Um, Jewish people, Matthew's the most Jewish of the four gospel writers, and Jewish people would not use the name of God. And so instead of saying kingdom of God, like Mark and Luke and John do, Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven to avoid using that name. But it's the same thing, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven heaven. And so Jesus, he sits down and he's telling his followers about God's kingdom, that he is the king of the kingdom. He's sitting on his throne. And what is his throne? It's the earth itself. He's sitting on a mountainside talking about his kingdom. He's ushering in his kingdom with his life, with his death, which will soon come, his resurrection that quickly follows. But also he's, he's bringing in the kingdom with his teaching that we get to listen to some 2,000 years later. And so the sermon begins with a description of what his kingdom will be like. And it's the same kingdom that we claim to be a part of to this day. This is what our kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, is like. What's the kingdom of God like? Well, it's the world, except turned totally upside down. That's what God's kingdom is supposed to be. This, uh, this list that I read, it probably has a, a heading in your Bible. It's called the Beatitudes, uh, which is a Latin word. And I'm going to go through these uh, with us this morning. Um, a Beatitude, that's a funny word, a Beatitude. Uh, but it's actually kind of a cool word because it's like this is an attitude that we should be. Um, but that's not what the word means at all. The word means blessed. Um, that's what it means. So blessed are, blessed are, the Beatitudes, Latin word for blessed. Blessed is not like a word that we use, right? It's a, well, except for maybe hashtag blessed. We use that inappropriately usually. Uh, but, but blessed is, is a, it's a church word. But here's what it means. It, it almost means happy. And so you could read this, happy are the poor in spirit. You're like, what? Happy are the poor in spirit? Happy are those who mourn. No, that doesn't sound right. That's because it's all upside down. That's what Jesus is trying to say. The, a better word than happy would be the word approved. Approved are the poor in spirit. Approved by God are those who mourn. And so I don't know about you, but when you are approved by somebody, like someone's like, yeah, you did a great job. Doesn't that make you happy? That makes me happy. I love it. I'm like, yeah, awesome. Wow, you noticed. Great. Or actually did something good for once. Awesome. Um, it makes you happy. And so blessed is an interesting thing because 
And maybe you've seen this in the Bible and wondered about it, but we're blessed by God, right? We're approved by God. But also there are scriptures that talk about, especially in the Psalms, that we can bless God. I'm like, well, how, who am I to bless God? But if you, if you understand that that word means approved, like when we approve God, when we say, God, you're doing awesome. God, you're the best. It makes us happy too, both ways. Whether we're being blessed by God or we're blessing God, it brings happiness. And so that's, that's the idea behind this word blessed and what a beatitude is. So I want to look at these eight beatitudes um, as this list of attitudes that God approves. And we're kingdom people. And I wonder, do you have the attitudes that God approves in the Beatitudes. And so first of all, the poor in spirit. And we'll go through, through these as quickly as we need to. Oh, they are gone. They, that, was, that, was more fast, that was faster than I thought. Okay, uh, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we see that the very first blessing, kingdom of heaven. That's what, that's what he's talking about here. Who are the poor in spirit? Are we poor in spirit? The poor in spirit are people who see their deep need for God. Someone who is poor in spirit realizes they will never be on their own good enough to be approved by God. I mean, we're all in desperate need of God's saving work in our lives. Or there is no saving work in our lives. But we forget that sometimes. We start to get rich in spirit. Like, oh, I'm so good. I'm so righteous. I'm awesome. It's only through his work in our lives, it's through his rich blessing, only through that, that we can enter the kingdom of God. That's why it's the very first beatitude. You want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Be poor in spirit. Understand how needy you are. The goal is the kingdom. Um, as we read through this, and we'll see this as we get to the end of this, the, the first uh, blessing is that you get the kingdom of heaven. The last one also is the kingdom of heaven. And it's not like Jesus like ran out of blessings to give. He's like, well, I guess I'll do kingdom of heaven again. Uh, it's the, their bookends. It means everything in between that we're going to look at now. It's all about how to get into the kingdom of heaven and what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Uh, it's beautiful the way that Jesus put it together. It's the best sermon ever, so it makes sense. Uh, to get into the kingdom of heaven, though, you have to start by realizing that you're too spiritually deficient to ever get in on your own. And that leads us to the next beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We can mourn and allow ourselves to feel broken by our own sin. What does the world do? The world is, is upside down from this. The world, you try to look good. You try to cover up sin. This creeps into the church. Church becomes a place where, oh yeah, everybody's doing fine. How you doing? Doing fine. Doing fine. You've been doing fine for six years? That's amazing and impossible. In the kingdom, we can let the weight of our sinfulness hit us full force. It's okay to realize, oh man, I, I messed up. Or I am messed up and I need help. Because even in our darkest moments, he provides comfort. You're mourning, that's the gateway to being comforted. As members of the kingdom, you know, we sin. Our brothers and sisters sin. 
And we need to take sin seriously, but when someone is broken and mourning over their sin or their addiction or their character, we should join God in bringing comfort, not condemnation, but comfort. Amen? Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Um, The next slide. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, Meek is not a word that you hear uh, very often, probably uh, because... Not because it's just like an old word, but it's a lost concept. (laughs) Nobody's meek anymore, so why would we use that word? Here's a definition for for meekness. Meekness is strength under constraint. Strength under constraint, and I'll explain that to you. It's like when a horse, a powerful horse, is controlled by having a bridle in her mouth. Meekness is for us, is recognizing, recognizing that you have freedom. You have independence. You have power. You are that stallion. But then you submit to God anyway. You allow yourself to be controlled, not by other people, but by God. In the kingdom, our power is always shown by our trust in God. And what does it say? Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. What's the way to power? What's the way to inherit the earth? It's by letting God control you, putting your trust in God. Meekness is to bring everything we've got, our characters, our possessions, our values, our time, all under God's authority. Those who trust in God the most, will be the most powerful. The meek will inherit the earth. Or as we like to say, and this is another way of saying this, humble always wins. Humble always wins. Um, The next one, the the fourth B attitude, is that uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Do you have an earnest desire to become a better person, a more godly person? You know how it is when you have a craving. Like you can't, you, you, you don't even know how the idea gets in your head, but you're like, you can't stop thinking about that food or that sweet or whatever it might be. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is craving for God. You know, we all have worldly cravings, uh, whether it's for good things like tacos or ice cream or sinful things like lust or pornography or drunkenness or an addiction. Those things, even tacos and ice cream and all the other things I just mentioned, they will never fill you up. You'll always want more tacos. I know that from personal experience. Right now, I want more tacos. Here's the thing. Scientists have figured out that the brain is actually wired, that when you have a craving and you fulfill that craving, instead of it like, like, I did it, I had tacos, I'm done now, the craving, you're you're training your brain for it to come back even stronger the next time. And you give in to the craving and your brain wants it even more that next time. And so instead of being fulfilled or satisfied by the cravings that we have, whether they're good or sinful, you actually just become entrapped by it. You want it more and more and more until it controls you. But what does it say if our craving is for God, if, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, what is the promise? 
you'll be satisfied. It's the one thing that will actually satisfy you. It will fill you up. Are we going after God? Are you hungry for God? Thirsty for God? A good thing to to think about for our hearts is when we miss time with God, do we miss it? Are we longing? Like, man, I haven't. It's been a few days since I read the Bible. That feels weird. If it doesn't feel weird anymore, oh man, you got to get you got to get your brain back, your spirit, your soul. Hunger for the right things for God. Amen. Uh, the next one: Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Um, you know, mercy I think is another word like meekness uh, and blessing that we don't really understand the true meaning of it. To be merciful, this is what it means: To be merciful means you have the freedom and the right to seek retribution or revenge. Like it's with, they, you, you don't, something happened to you, it was wrong, and you can go after revenge. But instead, you choose to forgive. That's mercy. Instead of going after what you deserve, what you could get, you decide to show grace. It's like if a judge found somebody guilty, but then didn't punish them. And we would look at that and be like, what? No, they need to be punished. And that's true on a national whatever, all of that. But in our lives, if we want to show mercy, what do we do when we get wronged? Uh, We don't pass judgment. We don't hold grudges. We forgive. That's so hard to do. It's upside down from the world. It's shocking. But this is what it says. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so how can we do something so upside down, so countercultural, that when we deserve retribution, we forgive instead? And that's, this is things that happen interpersonally with us. This is in our marriages. We're like, no, she did me wrong. But deciding to forgive anyway. How can we even do that? Well, it's because we have to remember that we received mercy. God shows us the greatest, every single one of us, totally guilty. It's not like there's a few of us that are like, whew, didn't, didn't need the sacrifice of Jesus in my life, but everybody else, I'm glad he died for them. Not, no, not one can claim that. And what does he do? Instead of giving us the punishment we deserve, he takes the punishment. That's what the communion message was about. That's what every communion message is about. And it gives us this power to do something totally upside down. If we remember that we receive mercy, then we can show mercy. We can change the world with that. Amen? Next one is the pure in heart. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What's the kingdom of God supposed to be like? It's supposed to be pure. The people of the kingdom, us, we strive for pure hearts. And pure is in the sense of not being corrupted or contaminated by the world. The world and its ideas, they're like, and the ways of the world, they're like a stain. And we want to stay pure. We don't want to get stained by the world. You know, Beth had a sweatshirt that she loved. And it got a little bit of blue dye on it, like right here. And just a little bit of blue dye on a white sweatshirt is a ruined sweatshirt, right? It's, it's not pure anymore. It looked great. So Beth, but she's a genius. Uh, I married a genius, everybody. You all know that. Um, she decided, well, I've got some blue dye on here. I'm going to tie-dye the whole shirt. 
And so she tie-dyed this sweatshirt, and now it's awesome again. Like, it's, it's really cool. You can't tell that there was a stain. It's totally awesome. Um, here's the thing. Being in the kingdom is trying our best not to be stained by the world. Because just a little stain of the world can end up staining everything. And you know what? It turned out to be really cool with Beth's sweatshirt. But when it's the world, you start with a little stain, and then you end up in another place. Not in the kingdom anymore. In the world. It's not cool. We have to, uh, we have to work so hard to stay pure. And I think the, the, the idea that the world is trying to contaminate our thinking is a, is a great mindset to have. Uh, this is what it says in 1 John 3. It says, Dear friends, now, now we are children of God. We're part of the kingdom. And what, we, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Are we pure in our hearts? Are we fighting to stay pure? Are we letting contamination get in and stain our hearts? The next one is blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, They shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. If that's not something that's relevant for our world today. I don't know what is. Blessed are the peacemakers. The world is so crazy. And in a way, we accept this. The world tries to create peace by going to war. That doesn't make any sense. But that's what we've always done. And we keep doing it. It keeps happening. You know, some Christians even falsely believe that peace comes from being abrasive or harsh or slamming people with what we believe. That doesn't bring peace. You can't bring peace by not being a peacemaker. I think that that whole idea is short-sighted. That kind of attitude, what, what it is when, when we try to like be abrasive or harsh or slam people with our beliefs, I think it's, we're getting, usually we're getting caught up in little battles. Well, like, you don't believe this one little thing about Jesus? Well, you, you're not even a Christian at all. We get caught up in these little battles, and we forget what the real war really is. The real, the real war is the lost. Every soul that doesn't have God is fighting against God. No one is fighting against you. They may, it might seem like people are fighting against you. Ultimately, they're fighting against God himself. And you know what? God is fighting back. And a lot of times that looks like he wrecks people's lives. He humbles people. He brings them to a place where they can be like, at the start, I'm poor in spirit. Okay, I realize I'm poor in spirit. I'm mourning. And they're going through, they're like, they're living out the Beatitudes. That's what God will do when he fights us. But that's the battle. It's a battle against God. And so that, that's the war. That's why there's no peace in our world. It's because people are fighting against God. And so how can we be peacemakers? By standing on our soapboxes, by, by you know, beating people up with our faith. No, it's by helping people get united with the Father instead of fighting against the Father. The world makes peace through violence. What? Through threats, through fear. We preach the good news of the gospel. We, we help people lay down their weapons against God so they can be a part of the family of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We make peace 
by bringing people into God's family, making them sons and daughters of God. We do it through studying the Bible with people, showing them the good news. Amen? Here's the thing, though. The work of a peacemaker is not always well-received. And so the last beatitude, number eight, um, and I'll, I'll read this one uh, again because Jesus expands on this one. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's the bookends of the kingdom of heaven. And so all this, and we try to be peacemakers. We're trying to help people fall in love with God. But even when we do that, sometimes we get persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then Jesus even expands upon this. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, our ways, even, even as we do it righteously, lovingly, kindly, but passionately, a lot of times it's misunderstood. We end up getting insulted, ridiculed by the world. The world um, is, is not merciful. It's not going to be challenged and not have retribution. It's, you know, people go after us. But Jesus says that the kingdom is a safe haven for us. The point, it's so important that Jesus expounds upon this last beatitude. He says that you will be richly rewarded by God. There's something bigger. He says you've become like the Old Testament prophets. That's an awesome honor. Jesus wants to show us what victory looks like. You know, I've had, um, in, I, over the last few years, I feel like I've had, I mentioned that mantra that humble always wins. Like, I believe that. Humble always wins. And I think when Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth, that's like saying, hey, you're, you're going to win if you stay humble. Um, and I, but I feel like I've, I've been persecuted in different ways, too, over the last couple of years. And, and maybe you felt that as well, like as you've tried to share your faith or as you've tried to help people it's like, I'm doing the right things here, but this is, it's going wrong. It doesn't feel like this is, if I'm doing the right thing, why is the wrong thing happening? And I've really had my faith challenge. Like, like I'm, you know, if I'm being humble, it doesn't feel like humble is winning. Humble always wins, but this does not feel like winning. This feels like losing. And I think it's so important that we have to remember this is upside down. And when it doesn't feel like it's working, that's when it's working. That's why Jesus lays this out for us that this is what the kingdom is. It doesn't always feel good. In fact, it, he ends this whole thing about the kingdom with, it's, a lot of times it's going to feel like you're being persecuted or attacked. That's the kingdom. Amen? All right, so I want to ask you, and as you go through these this week, as we read together this March on the Mount reading plan, are you living an upside-down life for God? Or are you living a right-side-up life in the world? What's it going to be? Maybe a lot of us are like, well, I'm sideways. Um, there's parts of me that are upside down. There's parts of me that are right-side. What, what's it going to be? If you're like me, then there are some kingdom-approved blessings. Like I read through this. There's some stuff I wrestled with. The, the meek shall inherit the earth. The persecution part. I'm like, man, i I got to get a better attitude about this. There's, there's some of these things that I think you probably need to focus on, just like I do. But also, I, I want to say this. A lot of times, you know, we, we preach the word, and it's like, what do you need to change? What do you need to grow in? But I also want you to look at, look at these and think about how different are you from the world? I bet you can look at some of these things and be like, yeah, you know what? I am living upside down. I did show mercy. 
And that's awesome. You should, you should be like, I'm a, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of God. I'm striving to live pure, like it says. As you study these out, I hope that you're challenged this week, but I also hope that you let yourself be encouraged by the kingdom life that we're all trying to live. Amen? Jesus uh, ends this introduction with two miniature parables, and we'll end the sermon with this today. Uh, and these are So we looked at eight attitudes of the kingdom of God, and now these are two realities of the kingdom of God. And the realities of the kingdom of God are salt and light. And so I'll read the last section here as we close out. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to, uh, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So two realities here. The first one is that kingdom citizens are distinct from the world. Like salt, if you're a part of this kingdom that Jesus preaches in the greatest sermon ever preached, and you are if you're here, if you're a part of this, like salt, you have an undeniable impact, provided you maintain your saltiness, your flavor. Think about the difference that salt makes. Like, this is true on a biological level. If you don't have enough salt in your body, you die. Salt um, was also, before refrigeration, it was essential to preserve food and meat. But I just want to talk about salt in my favorite way, which is in flavor. Flavoring food. Have you ever had, like, a totally bland soup? Like, it's just vegetable water. That's all it is. What's missing? What's the thing that's missing from the soup? It's I, and we have like professional chefs here, so I'm afraid of this. Um, it's salt. What, there, you need more salt in the soup. That's the thing that's missing. Um, if, if, and then if you go to a restaurant, like what's the difference between restaurant food and what I cook? Probably salt. If you're health conscious, you don't even want to know how much salt is in restaurant food. The answer is it's the right amount of salt if it tastes good. Here's the thing. Do you want a low-sodium faith? Does that get you fired up? Do we want to present the kingdom of God as bland? And that's what people think about churches. Like, are you, are you practicing diet Christianity, Christianity light? We have to stay salty. And I know what that word means nowadays. And that's what I mean. That's why we have small groups in our church. We've got house churches. We do discipling. We have these go with God Bible studies. It's so, the world wants to water us down. The word wants to spice things up. Amen. We need each other so badly. The world is opening up again. Praise God. It's time to be committed to our small groups, committed to church so we can get our saltiness back if we lost some. Amen. We have to stay distinct from the world. There's a flavor about us. That's the first part of this, of this, the end of the first part of his sermon. The second reality is that like light, we are designed to stand out and never be hidden. You know, we know the song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We know that song, right? But have you ever thought about this? If, if you are a light, that's what Jesus says. You are a light. 
then you are designed to stand out. Nobody gets a light and turns it on and puts it in a box. That's not what you do with a light. A light is designed to stand out and to shine. That is what you have been designed to do as a Christian in this kingdom that Jesus preaches. Our instincts, however, our worldly right-side-up instincts, are to blend in as much as possible. We do not want to stick out. But the reality of the kingdom is you are a light. You're a salty light. And so we shouldn't fear being different, having different ideas about morality, um, coming at things from different angles. We have literally been designed that way as people of the kingdom. And when you shine a light, you know what happens? People can follow you in that path. You start lighting up people's lives. Hey, if no one's following you, if no one's interested in your faith, if no one thinks, that guy's a little weird. He, he really goes to church a lot. If nobody thinks that, you might be hiding your light. It might be a little dim. And this isn't just for preachers or, or leaders. You are the light of the world. If your light is being hidden, that's not what lights are for. That's not what you're for. So there you have it. There's the introduction, Jesus' introduction, to the greatest sermon ever preached. Eight attitudes, two realities. When we take these steps by adopting these kingdom attitudes and accepting these kingdom realities, where does it lead us to? Where does this lead us? It leads to the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, let's embody the attitudes of the kingdom. Let this be, these beatitudes, let this be who you are. And let's embrace the realities of the kingdom. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to stick out. How else are we going to turn the world upside down? Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and sing. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God. Thank you.